0: Hello and welcome, you are listening to the Coaching Collaborative Podcast with ISG Coaching, where we will explore the world of instructional coaching and share insights and strategies for empowering educators and improving student outcomes.
1: Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Coaching Collaborative Podcast, Today, we take a minute and have a conversation with one of the co-founders of EduAid.ai. Yeah, you heard that right. We're gonna talk about artificial intelligence. EduAid offers teachers a set of tools to express their creativity, cultivate their expertise, and align planning with what works for students. The platform's open sharing feature allows users to freely reuse, revise, remix, and redistribute community shared resources to help bridge the gaps in access to high quality educational resources. In this interview, Thomas will discuss how EduAid.ai offers a new way to plan instruction by leveraging the power of large language models and artificial intelligence. He will also delve into how the platform's suite of personalization features enables users to differentiate on a granular level and adapt educational resources to fit their unique context and how the sharing feature cultivates expertise and collaboration with other users to find out what works best for students join us for this episode where we interview one of the co-founders of eduade.ai and see what the possibilities are for artificial intelligence in education today. (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, welcome to the Coaching Collaborative podcast. We are here with Thomas from uh, eduade.ai. and we're we're really excited to talk about uh, artificial intelligence in the classroom today a little bit, so we'll start expanding and unpacking that topic. But we also have...
0: Laura and Jess
1: here as well. And you've heard them here on the podcast too. Just we're talking about all things coaching related within the district. Uh, today, we're sort of taking a sidestep, but we're seeing how
2: where we could see education going in the future. And um, I don't want to generalize the challenges facing public education because there's a number of competing competing narratives that I hear. And I think they point out many symptoms of many different problems because, I mean, as you know, there's a variance of issues in education that can go from state to state County to county, district to district, school to school. So I don't think we can categorize all of these issues and problems under one single narrative, like, say, teacher shortages or limited or inflated budgets, depending on which argument you subscribe to. But there were a few key things that he and I felt were some issues that we felt particularly worried about, which were the consistent shortages in key areas, namely special education, mathematics, science, uh, foreign language, and English as a second language a persistent decline in job satisfaction since the mid-2000s that has only gotten worse since COVID-19. It was a survey done by um, Gallup that I thought was pretty much indicative of the whole trend we were seeing in the classroom, which it was a survey of U.S. workers' burnout by industry in 2022. And 44% of K-12 education workers stated that they always or frequently feel burned out at work. So, we were diving into that problem because we saw it around us. We're like, our coworkers are not too happy to be here. They feel burned out. They feel overworked. What could we possibly do? What could be done to solve this issue? And our first was in community, a community of practice among teachers, unbound by geography. You can go online and you can collaborate, share lessons. And that was a lot of my uh, work on my master's, which was in um, open educational resources, focusing on the ways that we can share beyond our school community, because collaborative planning is is a key, um, is a net benefit for teachers. I mean, research has shown that, um, and being able to share ideas is fantastic, but we are limited by geography and available resources. So we started on that path, and it it relied a lot on whether or not teachers would actually buy in and want to share resources and things, and this led us to, of course, AI, um, and that's where EduAid comes in. Thomas came to me and said, I think we have an idea on a way to save teachers time, specifically in planning. And um, we can dive in from there if you would like to about um, the way teachers use planning time and the amount of time that we actually have in planning. So let's say a teacher has an hour to plan, right? How much of that time is then taken with, say, searching and finding materials to use in instruction? And um, You can look at curriculum guides at schools. You can look at past years. You can look at what available resources you have. And uh, that might take, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes of your time. And then maybe you have to go print it and the copier's jammed. So you can't do that. And that takes another 20 minutes to get the jam figured out. And then, um, you know, maybe you got to get that next cup of coffee because it's a long day. You got to teach four classes in a row and your schedule's not the greatest. And, You don't get planning until the very last period of the day. So, yeah, you need that cup of coffee to get through it or, you know, going to collaborative plannings, IEP meetings, whatever it might be, that the time we actually have for personalizing and differentiating instruction to meet our students' unique needs is severely limited. And that is where we saw the role of large language models and generative artificial intelligence to help teachers be incredibly efficient way more efficient, efficient than we presently are able to be during our planning time.
1: Well, yeah, I, I love that you brought up the, this idea of time, because uh, well, the one resource that we can't get back, like when, mm-hmm. it, when you use it, you lose it, right? So exactly. uh, in, in teaching, anytime that we send out like a survey or or we ask teachers, what do you want? Like, what can we do for you? Well, we want more time instead of us thinking about, okay, where can we like carve out time during the day? You, if I understand correctly, you sort of went like sort of the opposite route. How can you maximize sort of the time that you already are that you already have so that you can do the things that you really want to do in the classroom?
2: Exactly. Because it's you only have so many hours in a school day. You only have so many contractual hours that you can actually get paid to work. And unfortunately, we've seen a lot of teachers having to take the maybe lesson, the base lesson they created at school during their planning home with them. And then they have to spend a few hours there doing the differentiation or personalization, or maybe that gets ignored altogether because they're focusing on grading or something while they're at home. So there's a lot of things we have to do in our planning time. And I we hoped that teachers could spend less of that time searching for materials and spend more of that time personalizing materials. And we're like, okay, so how do we do that? Well, there has to be a way to kind of search the the collection of all of the um, materials that you have available. And that's incredibly tough. I mean, you have to, okay, say I'm teaching, I can give you an example. I'm a social studies teacher and I was doing a lesson on world religions. The day's focus was on Buddhism. Okay, so I have to go into the text to find something on Buddhism. Well, I'm not really satisfied with what the textbook offered my students in the way of explaining the development and um, creation of Buddhism. So I said, all right, well, let's use the product I've been working on, EduAid. And we pull it up, and what I was able to do is I would go in, generate a secondary source reading comprehension assignment. It would give me a text that outlines the common knowledge available to humanity, because that's what the large language model is trained on, all available internet data and these large data sets, and then return it to me in a format that I could use in the classroom. I can then take the paragraphs that it gave me and I can shorten them. I can lengthen them. I can increase or decrease the level of complexity in the text by using the AI tools that we make available to teachers. I was able to translate it all in one workspace. So instead of having to jump to Google Translate to put it in there for my EL students, and then go to Lexile.com to scale the complexity up or down for my students who I need to make differentiated assignments for, I could do it all in one place. And that is our goal here, to create a workflow for teachers that is more efficient than what is presently available, but does not sacrifice the teacher's control over the individual resources. So it's a lot of balancing. But I think we're we're on to it. We can take a generated resource, something the AI creates.
1: So, uh, speaking of these like large language sets that you're you're talking about, I, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to get into like the we. I could talk all day about tech, um, and and talk about like the background and go into AI a little bit a little bit further. But thinking from. Um, I guess a question centered around AI is how reliable this sort of is the data that we're, we're collecting. So is there anything to like put uh, put people's mind at ease, like especially in the education realm uh, mm-hmm. where we have such a responsibility to give accurate data to our students?
2: I would argue that the um, what is generated by the AI. So the large language model that we use is OpenAI's uh, GPT uh, 3.5, um, soon to be GPT 4, once that is available for um, app development. Um, and what 3.5 does is the way I describe it to most people is imagine you could take a self-searching encyclopedia that can then format itself into an educational resource and is constantly revising itself for error. And I would say, okay, that seems to be a pretty safe bet to grab and use information. Now, what it doesn't do well, it doesn't handle more modern content stuff that has been happening after say 2021 because you know the school's not out on our public opinion on these matters and um also it does sometimes um, produce content that could be considered to have some sort of leaning bias now what the AI is particularly good at, though, is providing context to that bias. Because no information presented, not the textbooks that we use in school, not the primary sources that we use, not the novels that we have um, in class, are without bias. They are created by humans in a specific context. And when that happens, we all carry certain things with us, certain beliefs harbor certain prejudices, ideas, all kinds of things that seep in to our creations. The AI has a way of taking those multiple competing ideas and biases and putting them in their specific context and telling you, well, this topic is much more complicated than can be simplified into one or two sentences. So it does check itself for bias, but that's also the important thing. It's not perfect. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the AI is perfect, that um, GPT-4 will not return biased responses. That is why it's important to not be the solution for all things. It's a tool among many that teachers can use. And we give teachers granular control, meaning they can go in and change any aspect of that um, generation. It's not permanent. It's not written in stone. And uh, we format it such, our workspace, that teachers have to go in and personalize it. They have to essentially fact check it compared to what the available resources are. We made everything small enough that it won't replace curricula. It actually fits in quite nicely with most standing curriculum because the assignments that are generated aren't these large... Um, say, units of instruction, but rather small pieces that usually fit in and meet most standards. And there's ways of adhering our creations to standards. But uh, yeah, ultimately, it comes down to the granular control that we give to teachers, the feedback mechanisms, because we are trying to be incredibly user-friendly to where we can get feedback from teachers, go in and then address that immediately in real time, because it's a pretty quick... fix in the way that we prompt the um, AI that we can kind of fine tune things more to meet the needs of teachers and schools.
1: So I'm, I'm just thinking of like from, from our, our end and like mm-hmm. too, is, is that I, there is, there, there's a I know that there's apprehension um that that comes with some of the new tools and like some people like I, I know that myself when I first heard about it and Laura was actually the one who showed me like one of the first like AI tools that that was released and um like we we got really excited about it uh for those and then there are people on the flip side who who aren't necessarily gonna gonna see that. I just think from a coaching standpoint, how can we best facilitate uh, some of our teachers into feeling a little bit more comfortable and, and utilizing these tools to better the instruction that's going on in the classroom.
0: And on top of that, Thomas, before you start, um, obviously your other Thomas, are you guys still in the classroom or both of you?
2: Yes, I five days a week, Monday through Friday, I teach and then I come home and this is what I work on.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, so do you have you introduced this to your staff and our them, are they using it or mm-hmm. how do they feel about it? Sorry, I kind yeah. of stole his question. But
2: to uh, address both questions, um, first, you mentioned um, kind of fear of it. And I, I think that's completely justified. I, I think we should all be a little bit nervous about this. It's a, it's a huge change. I mean think about it you live in a world where you're now talking about artificial intelligence in the classroom when in your life did you ever think that was a possibility aside from science fiction it's it's a cra- it's crazy that we're having this conversation right now as someone who's a nerd i mean i have a thing poster behind me i love science fiction it it blows my mind every day that i'm like i'm going to go home and i'm going to work on an application for artificial intelligence in the classroom that it's strange because it will change the way we do our job it's, it's inevitable. It's it's not possible that we can resist it. It's not necessarily aid, but it's it's pervasive. I mean, chat GPT becoming a role in um, college classes with professors worried that their students aren't writing their essays, that the chat app is what's writing the essays, or um, parents concerned that if they email a teacher, they're not actually getting a response from a teacher. They're getting a response from an artificial intelligence that isn't in their classroom. I mean, there's plenty of concerns to be had. And I think that's good. We need to be worried so that we can do this right. Because too many times I've seen technologies brought into the classroom and it's ill thought out. It's not well-considered and it's not particularly useful. Smart boards that sat unused, taxpayer dollars wasted and on the table. I don't want that to happen with artificial intelligence because it can have a meaningful change because it can streamline our workflow. It can change the way we do our job in a way that is more collaborative and in a way that is more open to a many ideas and um, many different styles of instruction, because that's another issue, aligning the generative AI with instructional methods. That's what we've been working on. And we can talk more about that in a moment. To answer the second question, yes, um, some of my co-workers are now using um, EduAid in the classroom. I'm using it in the classroom. Um, I To make the ultimate test, I used it Um, on the lesson that I got observed for. I said, I'm going to really put my cards on the table professionally. If I think it works, then I better show that it can work. And um, it went great. I got highly effective across the board, which was pretty nice. Um, But aside from that, uh, yes, there are users in the classroom using this right now. Um, It could be for small things. For example, one of the people that I know who uses the um, platform is a special educator. And a lot of um, her job and her co-teaching role is differentiating instruction to fit the needs of the students and um, meet the goals and requirements of their IEPs. And to do that, there's a lot of scaling the reading levels to um, you know um, better meet the current present level of the student. And we have that tech capability built right into the workspace, of course, translating it for um, ELs, but also um, creating lists of keywords from the text. You can take any text that you have currently, you can copy and paste it into our topic bar and you can hit keyword generate and it'll give you keywords from the text that the students will need to know, high impact words with the definitions that I think aids instruction um, pretty well. Um, In addition, you can add options, take options away from multiple choice questions. Uh, You can generate new sets of questions based on similar topics with different wordings at different lexile levels. There's a lot lot of need to scale it on a very small, small level, these tiny little fixes that really fit it into the classroom specifically to your classroom context, I should say. So yeah, there are some of my coworkers who are using it. Um, And there's the apprehension that is there too. I mean, I would imagine the more you use it, you're going to feel slightly nervous because you're like, what is this? It's it's a black box that I can't look into. How do I know this information is accurate? I remember when I was in middle school, you know, my teachers would say you cannot use Wikipedia for anything. Um, it's not a reliable source. And now today I look around and I see how many teachers are sourcing texts slightly from the Britannica Encyclopedia or Wikipedia, which are all open resources, which are have huge databases, which these language models can be trained on. So a lot of the data that we already use to guide instruction is what is being used to build the model that we are um, using in our uh, platform.
0: What do you see is next for it? Like you're you're building it up and you're saying you're working on it every night. Like what are you currently mm-hmm. working on? What do you see is, is the next big thing?
2: So currently it's, um, We are... I would say there's four main research and design problems that we're checking out right now. Um, The first is... So if you go on the app, if you go on the platform, the first thing you're confronted with is the teaching assistant. That is the artificial intelligence. That's the language model that we're using. And we give teachers a variety of prompts to help them build towards generating the lesson. So let's say you are a social studies teacher I keep using that as it's my um my content area but we can use science for example. Say you're a science teacher okay. So you select science from the subject list, then you select your grade. Yeah, my dog, sorry. Uh you select your grade um from the uh, list of uh, uh grade of grade levels of course, and then you pick your specific assignment type. Um could be a lab with materials. It could be discussion prompts. It could be a lesson seed, which will give you an objective. It will give you, um, possible cue sets, possible instructional materials, activities, resources, and, um, assignments and assessments. Um, so you can do all of that now, but we don't want teachers to just take that generated resource, copy and paste it, boom, done, call it a day, because that's not, that's not particularly useful. That's not particularly um, impactful to the classroom. What we then encourage teachers to do is to take that generated lesson from the teaching assistant, and then it goes to our workspace. It's step two. And the teacher then takes the material and shapes it to fit their specific context. And we have a lot of tools to do that. Again, I keep mentioning scaling the Lexile level. I think meeting students at their present reading level is crucial. Also considering the amount of Learning loss post-COVID, we see reading levels dropping below grade average. I saw a study, 23 public schools in Baltimore, not a single student, and all of them tested on grade level for mathematics. So clearly there are some sort of, um, there's some instructional issues going on. So we need to meet the student needs. And evidently we weren't able to do that during COVID. I think that's what the data is showing us. I think um, we are seeing that commercial resources are not particularly flexible to meet those needs. And um, we need to give teachers more granular control, more flexibility to take a resource and shape it to their specific needs. So what's next? Next is um, of course adding more resource types. So different kinds of things you can generate. Uh, The other step is to give more tools, more personalization features, the little things like translate, keyword extraction, stuff like that. Um, And then, of course, launching our community, which is something that we're particularly excited about, something I'm particularly excited about with my background in open educational resources. The community is a place for teachers who take those lessons they shaped using the AI and then sharing them to a community of other teachers who can give feedback on them, who can take them, reuse them, revise them, remix them, redistribute them. Because let's say a teacher takes a lesson and says, all right, I have two ELs, three students with a specific IEP. And um, this is how I personalize the lesson to meet those needs. And then another teacher says, oh, I have a very similar circumstance in my classroom. Let's see where you started. And then they could take that and shape it even further. And then you have this consistent collaborative practice among teachers. And um, it's just the base content that's being looked at. And it's not usually possible under most copyright licenses to get that kind of level of sharing and collaboration on a broad scale. So it's Marrying artificial intelligence with the collective intelligence of teachers, because the AI is great at the big picture stuff, but it's not great at knowing your classroom. And it shouldn't be great at knowing your classroom. That's that's your job. That's what you should be able to do. So it's not replacing the teacher with AI. It's letting the AI work in collaboration with the teacher. Um, I'm a huge fan of Star Trek, the next generation, and um, the enterprise would not work without Lieutenant Data. And Lieutenant Data is a sentient android, artificial intelligence, who works in collaboration with his human counterparts to achieve a greater goal beyond what the humans themselves could achieve. And that's basically what we're trying to do, right? Have a principled and um, justifiable application of artificial intelligence to allow teachers to unlock their capabilities, creativity, and uh, expertise.
0: I really love the analogy you just used. And I think that would be so beneficial to even share with the teachers that we work with, you know, cause it is, it's not, it's not replacing us. It's just helping us. And like you said earlier, like maximize that time. So we're not spending all mm-hmm. the time searching, but then being able to take it and personalize it to our classroom. Exactly. So if you don't mind, I'll probably steal that analogy when I introduce this to my staff.
2: <laughs> well, that's, that's huge. That's the main thing that we are focused on um, at EduAid is, We need to not remove the teacher from the equation. There's so many resources I see out there. It makes me roll my eyes when someone says, oh, it was a teacher proof uh, of material. I'm like, what does that even mean? Well, we know that there's teacher effects and artifacts and that when a teacher is burnout, right, teachers who self-identify as regularly feeling burnout at work are 63% more likely to take a sick day than their counterparts who don't. And what that tells me is that there's a lower level of engagement when you're that tired, when you're that worn out, when you're that sick of being at work. And how does that affect instruction? Well, it's going to have a negative effect on instruction, especially if you're less engaged during your collaborative plannings, you're showing up to meetings late because you're tired. You don't feel like you have enough time to do what you feel is important. And you're less likely to, um, to take the amount of effort needed to truly do a good job because it's not particularly easy. Just because you want to be good at teaching does not particularly mean that you're going to be able to. There's steps you have to take to get there. It takes practice, it takes time, it takes effort. And unfortunately, we see that most teachers, new teachers, um, unable to put in the time investment. I mean, the turnover rate of teachers within the first 3 years is incredibly high. It's a, one of the higher attrition rates in the workforce. So what we really want to do is remove the stress of spending 40 minutes of your planning searching for a lesson and only getting 20 minutes to do what you feel like is important, you know, f- fitting it to your unique style, to your unique classroom context.
0: I can appreciate this because I just feel like so many of the teachers that we work with, that is the that is the issue, is just the time. Um, They have ideas and they have things that they want to work on and they know that, but they just don't have the time to. So I feel like from a coaching standpoint, helping them walk through this and use the tool with us takes away that like, stress of, oh my gosh, what is this new thing? How do I mm-hmm. use this? But if we can help them get through that at, at the beginning, and then it becomes a tool that that just really helps them long-term. Well, I'm even thinking that like the, when we do come together with our team for collaboration, mm-hmm. instead of even taking that time to like, oh, what resource did you bring? Mm-hmm. What resource? Oh, look, we had you know, we had this generated for us. Now, how can we tweak it to match the needs in our individual classroom? That's just the power in that is just unbelievable because, you know, that we, our students need that differentiation piece and mm-hmm. we can use it in that way. Cause that's, I mean, that's just so powerful. I just, I'm super excited. I want to tell all my teachers about it tomorrow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that is what we're really hoping will be the use for the technology is that, It'll be a means of increasing collaboration, um, not just collaboration between teachers and and their instructional coaches and teachers and other teachers and teachers and um, the technology. Um, that is what we really see is the is the net benefit. And as to the intimidation going into it, uh, we're looking to build in many different um forms of professional development, tutorials, frequently asked questions, how to best use the technology, and streamline the um, workspace. So you were asking what we're working on. It's it's a lot of that um, building the workspace to uh, kind of give teachers the sense of flow so they can move with some ease between all of these steps. Because at the end of the day, we all want to be creative, Um, not necessarily in an artistic manner, but I mean, I see creativity in all kinds of things and gardening and my teaching experience and cooking, whatever it might be. But with creativity, you typically need some level of skill, and that could be difficult to cultivate over time. Um, What this tool is, is a way to unlock creativity more quickly for teachers. Um, They can spend their time now understanding their students and fitting things to their students as opposed to, again taking all of that time to just get the basic materials out of the way. Save the time on the administrative tasks so we can increase time on the creative tasks, which I think is at the heart of job satisfaction. If I feel less overwhelmed and more creative, I'm going to be happier in my workplace.
1: Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us today. Um, I I think it's incredible that you're taking an approach from a teacher's perspective uh, which is often overlooked by a lot of like tech companies mm-hmm. uh, we, we get a product that's that that's thrown into our laps and we're just supposed to use it with our students whereas in this is it, is reverse engineered we're thinking about the people first exactly. um, and I think that's I think that's huge and it speaks volumes to what you're what you're doing as a company and what you're doing as a group thank you so much for sharing uh, your experience. Um, And your background and everything that you, Tyler and Thomas, uh, the other Thomas, uh, are doing uh, to help alleviate some of the stress that, that teachers go through on a daily basis.
2: Of course. Well, thank you very much for having me on. And that's exactly right. I mean, we're building this thing in the open so we can get user feedback on the spot. We want to hear from teachers. It's available. It's free to use. You can use it currently in your classroom if you so choose. And um, give us feedback on how to make it better to suit your needs, because that's what this is all about. It's changing education positively by using emerging technologies correctly and in a way that makes sense. Thank you for listening
1: to the Coaching Collaborative Podcast. We hope you found our discussion on instructional coaching valuable, and we look forward to continuing to share ideas and best practices in future episodes. Don't forget to subscribe, follow ISG Coaching on Twitter, or check out www.isgcoaching.com. Until next time, keep on coaching.